But what I've found in the last few years is none of those decisions in 1970 were made for medical reasons. There was a anti-war movement and a civil rights activities that both of those wanted to be broken up. But they, they knew then that the, these medicines had a lot of benefits. And they knew then that they were not addictive. And they knew then that they were significantly less harmful than tobacco and alcohol um, on the other end of the spectrum. And they still made it illegal and they still fed us these lies for 50 years. And now the information's out. Hello, and welcome to the Art of Living Well podcast. I'm Stephanie May Potter, and I'm here with my co-host, Marnie Dachis-Marmet. We created the Art of Living Well podcast to empower you to live your happiest, healthiest, and most authentic life. Each week, we will bring you inspiring and motivating conversations covering health and wellness topics, including fitness, mindset, food, travel, product reviews, and strategies from a variety of experts, including our own bank of knowledge. We are excited to educate, motivate, and inspire you to change the way you perceive health and discover your art of living well. Get ready to feel inspired. Hello, and welcome back to the Art of Living Well podcast. Thank you so much for tuning into today's episode. But before we dive into our really enlightening conversation with our guest today, I want to remind you of the new format we started dropping several months ago. It's the 15-Minute Health Transformation Audit, and it's where we bring you, our community members, onto the show, and we really guide you during that short 15 minutes to identify what's holding you back, and you're going to walk away with at least one tangible action step that you can immediately implement into your life to help you on your journey to finding your art of living well. We love doing these episodes. And we'd love to have you on. So head on over to our show notes or go to our website and click the link and sign up for your 15-minute health transformation audit today. I also wanted to share that as this episode drops, we are in our second week of our 14-day functional medicine liver detox. And it's just been such a great group of individuals. There's lots of recurring detox alumni as well as several new participants who this is their first time on this journey. And everyone is feeling so great and energized. Um, They've reset healthy habits. They're not craving, you know, all the sweets and salty snacks that they've been eating, you know, maybe a little too much of over the holidays. And it's just been a supportive and fun community. We're on the group chat every day. We're posting pictures of what we're eating and sharing any you know, challenges that we're having as well. And the second week really allows participants to start to reacclimate and add some foods back, see how they react so that they can continue on post-detox with all these good healthy habits. And if you missed this one, don't worry because our next detox will kick off on April 10th. And now on to today's amazing guest, Matt Zeman. So Matt is the chief executive officer and co-founder of Happy.me, a mental health company who is on a mission to improve people's happiness by providing guided ketamine therapy and digital wellness programs. Matt most recently authored the book, Psychedelics for Everyone, a beginner's guide to these powerful medicines for anxiety, depression, addiction, PTSD, and expanding consciousness, which you will hear about towards the end of the episode today. If you are at all curious about psychedelics and the role that they could play for yourself or someone you love, we highly recommend purchasing this book. So in today's episode, you will learn 
Why Matt doesn't believe that everyone should take psychedelics, but he does believe that psychedelics are for everyone. So you may be thinking to yourself, I don't even know what psychedelics are. Aren't they illegal? Well, just hang tight because you're going to hear all about this topic in today's episode. So in this episode, you will learn about the benefits of ketamine, which is currently the only psychedelic that is legal in the United States, how it's being used to safely help individuals battling depression, trauma, anxiety, and more. We'll also touch on MDMA, peyote, LSD, and psilocybin. Matt dives into some of the studies that are being done in our major research universities across the U.S. and why Matt believes that many of these will soon be legal. We also talk about why it's really important to work with someone who is experienced with these healing modalities and why setting an intention and doing, doing the hard work of uncovering what's going on a lot of times with past trauma within our childhood and why that's critical to the overall healing process. Matt will also share his tips on how to find a reputable provider to guide and help you, specifically um, if you're interested in doing a retreat, including very specific questions that you should ask the host. Whether you've tried psychedelics in the past, are curious about how they could benefit you or someone you know, or are highly skeptical like Marnie and I were about this topic when we had a previous guest on talking about microdosing several months ago, we know you're going to get a lot of insight out of this conversation today. That said, we do want to highlight that this show is for informational and educational purposes only. We recommend that you consult with your doctor or other medical or healthcare professional before trying anything discussed on the show today. Also, please note that some of the substances that we talk about in today's episode are still illegal in the United States. And with that, let's jump right into today's enlightening conversation with Matt Zeman. Hi, Matt. We are so excited to have you on our podcast today. And we love meeting like-minded people in the health and wellness space. And this topic, the topic of psychedelics, psychedelics for everyone, um, is actually a topic that Stephanie and I have been kind of diving into in the last couple months. And we're just, you know, excited to learn more about it and to bring to our listeners um, some information that I don't think a lot of people have on the topic. So Matt, everybody has a story and we would really love to hear your story in a nutshell on how you changed your life after you had a professionally guided psilocybin experience and you went on to become the CEO and co-founder of Happy a mental wellness company that specializes in psychedelic-assisted ketamine therapy. And now you're also the author of this great book, Psychedelics for Everyone. Marnie, Stephanie, thanks so much for having me. It's good to talk to you again. It's been a little bit since we, uh, since we spoke last, so I appreciate you having me on. Yeah, it's been, it's been kind of a, a wild journey. I mean, I went on this, uh, this guided psilocybin or mushroom uh, journey of, uh, almost three years ago at this point. And it just changed my worldview. Um, I think the biggest thing that happened to me in that journey is it reconnected me with my mom who died when I had just graduated college. So she was 49. And um, yeah, and I could, I could feel her. I could see her. I could pull a string from her to me to my kids. It was so beautiful and just beyond my wildest, uh, wildest imagination. And I, and I knew, I was like, I need to know more. What is this? Uh, what are these psychedelic medicines? And uh, 
ended up going back to school for a master's in psychology and neuroscience and mental health and really just diving in. My whole dissertation was on psychedelic medicine and just trying to figure out um, how do these work, who can they help, and how can I be a part of this uh, a part of this this healing journey and, and transformational journey for people. That is amazing. And I mean, I, I've never personally experienced anything like that. So I can only imagine in my mind what that would be like, but can we just like back up a little bit and dive in and talk about like, what are psychedelics? And maybe can you explain, I, I don't think our listeners have a lot of knowledge in this area. You know, I know there's a lot of different categories of psychedelics and Maybe if you can just kind of broadly describe that for our listeners. Yeah, I think in big brush terms, uh, psychedelics are, are known as hallucinogens or entheogens. So they, uh, they're medicine that, that leads to kind of an altered state of consciousness <clears throat> and helps you, uh, allows people to see the world or experience the world for a brief period of time differently than kind of the everyday consciousness in which we, um, which we experience things. So that can look like a lot of different things. It can, in some cases, it can look like um, fractals and others, they, people talk about machine elves and sometimes you can smell colors and you can do all, it, it changes the way you you see things. Um, but when you get beyond that, it, it can help heal um, by allowing you to kind of step outside of the, of an experience and look back at it without the shame uh, blame or guilt that is normally associated with it. And when you can look at it with kind of a fresh perspective without those things, it, it sometimes can can lead to these very, very transformational healing experiences. So um, in big brushstrokes, that, that's what psychedelics are and, and, um, and how they work in healing. And what would be considered some categories of like, mm. you know, I'm hearing, you know, there's ketamine and there's mushrooms and there's peyote and there's... <laughs> Yes, uh, yes, ayahuasca. Yes. I mean, there's so many different terms. There <laughs> like, are, there are. So let's let's break it down this way. I mean, let's first start with what's legal. What can you do in America? Yeah. So ketamine is the only legal psychedelic in America. It's a, um, and I'm going to stick with this for a moment, and then we can go back to all the other psychedelics that that might involve airplanes and um, and some travel. But ketamine is legal. It's FDA approved, and it has been since 1970. It is used, it was initially developed as an anesthesia. And uh, starting in 1974, they started to do research on it for mental health purposes. Um, and really since the work of uh, John Crystal out of Yale Medicine in the uh, mid-90s, has it, it's taken on a new life for uh, mental health challenges, whether it's depression or anxiety seem to be the two primary ones that, that ketamine's working with. But it can also be things like a, um, curbing alcohol use, um, smoking cessation, OCD. There's um, a number of different other things. So ketamine can be prescribed by really any prescriber. It's prescribed off-label. And then people can can take it in a multi, multiple different ways. They can choose to take it uh, inter, intravenously, like an IV drip, or intramuscularly, like a shot. Uh, some people uh, choose to take it intranasally. So there's a spray that that can be done there. And then there's a number of companies like, like mine that do, uh, that are telehealth companies that do oral ketamine, where they send these sublingual tablets and people can put it under their tongue, wait about 
10, 12 minutes and then uh, have, a, have a psychedelic experience that lasts about, about one hour um, with that method. So that's all ketamine. Again, 100% legal. We can talk about it and we can come back to that. That's ketamine. So far, so good? Yep. Awesome. So now let's dive into the other, some of the other ones you mentioned. So we, um, many people would, would say, okay, psilocybin might be your next starting point. So psilocybin, otherwise known as magic mushrooms, psilocybin is the, the uh, active ingredient in the mushrooms. Um, these are found in nature. They're found really all over the world. And people can chew them. People can make them into tablets. And um, and then sometimes people make it into a, a powder and they put it into like a tea. So lots of different ways to consume it. It is not legal in the United States. There are clinical studies, though, happening with psilocybin. And the FDA has given it breakthrough therapy designation. So what's super exciting about psilocybin are things like if you have, terminal, if you have a terminal illness, you have, so you might have severe depression if, that's, if that applies to you. This is a, a medicine that you can take. It's extremely fast acting. We're talking about the same day that you've taken it. You're going to, in many cases, find relief from that depression or anxiety. Um, and it's going to, in many cases, change the way you interact with your family and interact with your, your, um, how you live those final days after that terminal illness. So they're, they're finding really positive results there. Uh, Johns Hopkins uh, University is doing a ton of the, the work on psilocybin, same with Imperial College in, uh, in London, University of California, San Francisco. So lots of great work with psilocybin. Um, and again, also things like alcohol use um, and curbing that. Um, when people talk about microdosing, by the way, many times they're talking about microdosing mushrooms. And we can talk about that a little bit later too. Um, the next medicine I think I'd, I'd bring up is MDMA, because this one's all over the news these days because of veterans. And he's like, what are veterans and, and MDMA? We all, we all grew up in the same generation. So for us, it was ecstasy in the clubs and it was a, um, yeah, it was a party drug. But what they have found with MDMA is, is they call that a heart opener. And for, you know, uh, there's a phase three trial happening right now. So again, it's illegal. Let me be clear, illegal in the United States, except in clinical trials. In a phase three clinical trial, um, take, they took people who have treatment-resistant post-traumatic stress disorder. So veterans, uh, people with uh, victims of sexual assault, nothing has worked with them. Two MDMA sessions and 67% no longer qualify as having PTSD. It's, wow. It is such a large number. It is astounding. But now we're talking about rigorous phase three trials and it just works and there is going to be a solution. So again, FDA is given it breakthrough therapy designation and we expect this to be legal federally within the next two years and psilocybin a year or two after that. I'm going to pause for a moment because it looks like you have uh, questions about this one. Yeah. And you know, when you say legal, what does mm -hmm. that mean? Is that legal like being prescribed by a doctor or, you know, a psychologist or someone, you know, versus just like going to the store and, you know, kind of like you can get marijuana in many states now. I really appreciate that question. There's a lot of confusion about that. So when we talk about psychedelic medicine, it is a medical model. So ketamine is legal medically if prescribed by a licensed prescriber in your state. Um, some states that's a physician, others it's a physician's assistant or um, there, there's, there's lots of, it just depends on your state. MDMA and psilocybin, it's going to be the same, same situation. These will be legal um, as determined by the FDA if prescribed with a, with a doctor's supervision. 
Um, there is no legal recreational model that is really being talked about when it comes about psychedelics. There is a decriminalization model, which up in uh, uh, like Michigan, not too far from you, is uh, has, has been doing quite a lot there. <clears throat> Number of cities and states. And decriminalization means that a city or a state has told their law enforcement um, providers that this will be your lowest priority. Um, so is it legal? No. But will there be arrests and things for just personal possession? No. Doesn't make it okay to, to open up a store. Doesn't make it okay to distribute. It just decriminalizes the personal use, um, which solves, it does solve the recreational um, aspect a little bit. And then also uh, helps with some of the religious arguments that are being used. There's, <clears throat> there's a number of uh, people who would like to use psychedelic medicine for religious purposes. That's, not a, that's neither recreational nor medical but the decriminalization kind of allows room for that as well. So just to clarify, <laughs> okay. we are talking about psychedelic medicine. We are not talking about recreational drug use, you know, especially like when I was researching for this topic and I saw MDMA, I didn't realize that that was ecstasy and Molly, which I have heard of. Um, I didn't realize that that was the same thing. And I saw that and I was like, Oh, that's scary. Like, <laughs> Like, you know, I, I have all these preconceived ideas in my head of drugs and don't use drugs and blah, blah, blah from growing up. And so this topic is, is I'm going to be honest, a little bit scary to me. But when I think about it in the context of psychedelic medicine under a trained professional, I, I'm starting to see the benefits, you know, or hear about the benefits. So... Marnie, it's wild. I mean, again, I think you and I are, <clears throat> we have birthdays that are similar. Um, but anyone born after 1971, we've only known prohibition. There has, we, we have no idea what a legal world, and it, just I'll, I'll take LSD as an example. Before 1970, there were a thousand papers on its efficacy um, in medical uses, just in LSD alone. There, there was a ton of research that we, our generation, never heard about. All we were told was just say no. It's going to fry your mind. It's, there's, it's gonna, you're going to get addicted. It's going to be a gateway to heroin and to death. It's only bad. And that's what we were fed. And I, I'm such a geek. I believed it. I mean, I, 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 I was never a drug user. Um, didn't drink all that much. It just wasn't my thing. Um, and I was very, I'm very... I was very conservative uh, and concerned. But what I found in the last few years is none of those decisions in 1970 were made for medical reasons. There was a anti-war movement and a civil rights activities that both of those wanted to be broken up. But they, they knew then that the, these medicines had a lot of benefits. And they knew then that they were not addictive. And they knew then that they were significantly less harmful than tobacco and alcohol. Um, on the other end of the spectrum. And they still made it illegal and they still fed us these lies for 50 years. And now the information's out. I mean, the internet's too, there's, there's too much real information out there. There are 309 academic institutions studying psychedelics right now. I live in a, a small college town in Chapel Hill, North Carolina. Right up the street, UNC, they have a $27 million grant from the Department of Defense studying two psychedelics. And then the other down the other road is Duke with a whole psychedelic center. Mm -hmm. So these, these aren't fringe universities. It's Harvard, it's Johns Hopkins, it's Yale, it's Duke, it's um, 
yeah, I, it just goes on and on. King's College, Imperial College, big schools. But I do appreciate the worry because I, I certainly, it's been completely eye-opening to, to like, the, the, it's just been a completely eye-opening process for me. So how are these licensed or trained professionals using psychedelic medicine, or I guess maybe just ketamine right now because it is FDA approved and legal um, for disorders like depression and anxiety or trauma or. So behind the scenes, we let's, let's just back up. Like all of us, we all have our stuff and we all get, as we get older, we have, Stephanie's like, I have some stuff. We all start thinking, literally thinking the same way over and over. We have this, 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 we get these, these ruts, these thinking ruts. And behind the scenes in our brain, literally our neurons start firing the exact same way over and over and over. Um, and different neurons have, have died and gone away over time. When you take a psychedelic medicine, whether it's ketamine or MDMA or psilocybin, what it's doing is it's allowing neurons to, to fire that haven't fired together in a while. So in some ways, it's like remembering how you used to think when you were a kid. And all of a sudden, after years of not thinking that way, it's like, wow, I forgot. I could, I forgot I could think about this. I for, and so you have these neurons firing, you have your default mode network, kind of the um, center part quieting down. So all of a sudden the noise around you and the way we interpret things has gone way down. And, um, and now all of a sudden we can think differently so that when we finish the medical process, we can take that into our lives. So what does that mean? For people who are depressed, many cases, they are, they have, everything is kind of painted gray. There's a lot of, everything is kind of turned down. They're seeing the negative in a lot of things. And in a psychedelic experience, that negativity can disappear. And that is, in some cases, is enough to be like, oh, I forgot what living without the negativity felt like. Anxiety, same thing. The weight of the world, people say, the weight of the world was lifted off my shoulders. What does that mean? It's not something you can tell somebody, oh, just stop being anxious. But when you feel it lift, you know it's lifted. And ketamine can do that. Um, we're not quite sure why things like people, like I haven't had a drink of alcohol since my first psychedelic experience, not because that was any intention. It just fell away. It's nobody's sure why those things happen, but that's pretty common as well. I've heard that before that even like alcohol won't taste the same or even coffee or maybe sugar or certain foods that people, you know, or drinks become addicted to. They, they're not, there's no desire to drink it or it actually tastes differently. It doesn't taste good anymore. I think if we think about our tastes and our desires, if they're somehow triggered to things we wanted and either received or didn't receive when we were children, mm -hmm. somehow in these psychedelic uh, neurons refiring for some people, it says, oh, I really don't need to go to alcohol to meet this other need that I had, or I don't need to eat um, the extra bowl of ice cream because I don't, I just, I'm not looking for fulfillment that way. Uh -huh. That brings up such an interesting point when you think about like emotional eating and how maybe when we were younger, we had a bad day and our parents gave us cookies and ice cream. And now we're still doing that as an adult. And now you're 40 or 50 and you're trying to break that habit and that cycle, but it's all like wired in your brain and you associate having a bad day with indulging in whatever it is. 
And so what you're saying is with these neurons, you know, allowing neurons to fire, like rewiring those neural pathways and allowing you to really see that feeling certain ways or doing different things are now possible where before you were ruminating over, like you said, certain negative patterns or for people with anxiety and you're always worried about certain things. And now you like opens up the possibility that I can be happy. I can experience more joy or not feel this way anymore. Is that kind of right on? Yeah. hundred percent. The the Minnesota uh, scenario I'll give you is if you're used to cross country skiing on the same tracks, and you go to bed one night and then all of a sudden a massive amount of snow came down and you can cross country ski any way you want, where you want. And you're like, oh, I forgot I could go over here and go over here because I've always just have gone this way for the last X amount of time. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of the power of psychedelic medicine. It's really beautiful. So what does that look like in terms of, let's say, you know, let's say hypothetically you have a depressed person who is considering trying this but they're on all kinds of medications Mm -hmm. because they're taking you know the western route of how you would manage depression is that something then that they like the the medical professional that's leading them through the ketamine experience would advise like how does that work logistically it can be it can be so so let's uh, so you probably, there's, there, there's a lot to unpack here, Marnie. <laughs> so antidepressants have been kind of what people have known for the last 30 years, right? So people are on SSRIs or SNRIs or MAOIs. Um, and there really hasn't been another option. Some psychiatrists who are aware of ketamine will say, you know what, why don't you just try this? In other cases, it really takes the patient advocating and saying, I want to try something else. But let's unpack this just for for a a little bit more. So what are the challenges with antidepressants? So a lot of times I hear people say, oh, I I failed my antidepressant. And it makes me me want to pull my, well, if I had hair, it made me want to pull it out. It is, is, antidepressants don't work on like 30 or 40% of the people of the population. So, and then when they do work, for a huge percentage, there's a high price tag to pay with the side effects. Um, everything from sexual dysfunction, gastrointestinal issues, um, sweating, uh, memory loss, suicidal ideation, um, dry mouth. There's a lot, a lot of side effects. Wow. Um, and the percentages are high. Um, there's a st- uh, I'm going to take actually sexual dysfunction just as one. It's somewhere between like 51 and 73% of people who are taking SSRIs have sexual dysfunction. Wow. That's not clear when you're signing up for this. So it's, a, it's, a, it's just a price to pay. Um, but until people start understanding that we had another option with ketamine, there really wasn't. So if it's living life one way or living life this way, ah, you can understand it. But there is another thing. So talking to your psychiatrist is a is a is a great solution. That one of the challenges, though, Marty, is so many people are prescribed antidepressants from their general practitioners. So they're just not as informed in many cases because they have to be informed. They they have to be know so much about so much. So again, mm-hmm. this is where advocating for yourself. Hey, I heard about ketamine. Can you either help me or can you point me in the right direction? Again, there are like we're not in Minnesota, but I think. Uh, I think Mind Bloom or New Life, uh, NUE.life might be in Minnesota. Those are those are national companies where there's a 
you can uh, tell it's a telehealth provider. So depending on what type of depression you have or how how significant, that might be a good option for them. But there are ketamine clinics in all 50 states right now, roughly 400 working with mental health. Hmm. So interesting. It is. And is that addictive? Is ketamine addictive? Yeah. So I want to, I'm going to, I'm going to give you the best answer I know how to give with, uh, with my level of schooling. This is a, uh, there are animal studies of the only psychedelic that is potentially addictive is ketamine. So there are animal studies where there, there was some addictive behavior in the recreational use of ketamine where people are using it. It's, co- it's called a special K in the clubs, um, for the, the young people, um, and uh, there, there have been cases of people getting addicted and using way too much ketamine. In all the research that I did in, uh, in my master's program and, and all the different people I've talked to, when prescribed in a medical model, there hasn't been any, any issues of addiction. And, there, and then the, the side effects, going back to side effect comparisons, it's really little. I mean, we're talking about during the time you're taking the ketamine, yeah, you're going to be dis- have a dissociative experience. Um, you're going to feel very heavy. You might feel nauseous. But within an hour, two hours of the ketamine experience, those side effects are gone. And then the long-term side effects are, are very, very few um, with ketamine versus the antidepressants. And there's no withdrawal. You can t- try ketamine, and the next day, you're fine. It's, you can't kind of try an antidepressant for six months and then just stop. There's a, you have to wean yourself off carefully and under a doctor's supervision. Right. So when you're, when someone's using ketamine, how, from a dosage standpoint, frequency versus mm-hmm. like when you're on an SSRI or some other pharmaceutical, you're taking that every day. And as soon as you stop, then potentially you're not going to have the benefits of when you are taking it. Right. So how would like dosing work or like, a you know, you're, when you're working with people and they're doing like these telehealth type of mm-hmm. um, dosing, like, I know there's no like typical average, but what would you initially suggest for someone who was, you yeah, know, there, there, is, there, is, there is actually, and there is a little bit of typical average. So we, we can okay. talk about um, most people will get into a program where they'll either do it once a week or twice a week uh, for six times in a row. So that's either three or six weeks. So that's how most people start with ketamine. And then from there, they will work with their practitioner to figure out what is the right tune up. So for some people, it might be, yeah, you probably should stick to once a week. Others, it's once a month. Others, it's once a quarter. Others is, you don't need it. You got through whatever period or you healed whatever you're trying to heal or you transformed whatever you're trying to do and you're off. I get, I'm going to tell you, I, there's a person I was talking to um, last week who he, his first suicide attempt was when he was 23. And he was on 20 different medications over about 20 years and nothing worked. Last year at about this time, he had his first ketamine experience. So I was talking, I was like, how did it go? What happened? He said, you know, I was a, uh, on a one to 60 scale, I was a 53 for depression a year ago. It's like, it just wasn't good. And I said, now, where are you now? He's like, I'm a 10. That's amazing. And what's your frequency? And he's once a month. So this is, this is very manageable. Um, the ketamine experience itself is about an hour. You have maybe you allow two, three hours of a day to do this, but it's very manageable given the, uh, the other trade-offs. Yeah. That's an amazing story. And the mm-hmm. fact that this drug is helping people and your company is helping people. 
Well, and I just, I have so many questions going on in my mind, just even based on what you've said in the last few minutes, like you mentioned um, special K, which I think must be like a street version of ketamine or like, an Ill, like a, so is it possible that that version of the drug is laced with like other kinds of things or it, when you're looking at those studies, are you comparing apples to apples? Like I'm assuming if someone's, mm. you know, using ketamine as medicine under a trained professional, they're getting like a very, they they know what they're getting. I, I would hope like the source is, you know. Very clear. A, 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 yes. <laughs> yeah, this is, I mean, it's so, again, things I never thought of, things I wasn't thinking about four years ago. We don't have, because we don't have a, um, we don't have reasonable drug laws. We also don't have reasonable discussions about drugs. It's only abstinence. Just say no, don't do it. So what happens is we are forced to an underground market. I'm again, I'm focused on recreational right now. We're forced to an underground market where you really don't know what you're taking. So mm-hmm. there was a study of MDMA or X as we are talking about, and something like a half of it had no MDMA in it. Sold as MDMA, it didn't have it. And a ch- I mean, uh, and there's all sorts of what's it laced with. We, we have kids dying every day who are taking drugs that's laced with fentanyl. They don't know they're doing it and they die. And, um, and part, of, part of my book is, is just to understand what happens when we make this totally illegal. What's the cost to us? What's the cost to our society? What's the cost to our families? And what are some other options? Um, and yeah, I, I, I put a bunch of that in there. So when you do the medical model, you're right. It's, it's going to be pure pharmaceutical grade, whatever it is you're taking under doctor supervision. And when you look at studies of street incidents, you really don't, it's not a pure study because you don't know what else they took or what else was in there. Um, you don't really know what they, it's typically self-reported data. There's all sorts of things that make those studies way more challenging than a, a, a medical or academic study. Hey guys, Stephanie and I are loving this new product from Keon that we have been trying probably for like the last, I don't know, four to six weeks now. It's Keon Pure Plant-Based Amino Acids. It's a premium blend of essential amino acids in a convenient, delicious drink mix. I really like the cool lime and the mixed berry. Um, And these are fantastic for before a workout, after a workout. You feel energized. It boosts athletic recovery. It supports really lean muscle mass. Um, There's all nine essential amino acids, and there's no artificial ingredients, which we both love. When I was traveling, I didn't bring them with me, and I definitely noticed a difference. So I highly recommend trying. It's it Like I said, it's great before and after your workout. Kian also has some other products, a couple we want to mention. They have mold-free coffee, which is fantastic for people that drink coffee. And they also have a great whey protein powder. My daughter has been using it in her smoothies on a daily basis. So we have a code. It's Art of Living. And you can get 10% off single products or 15% off bundles. Or 20% off a subscription, which is what I'm doing now because I'm using my amino acids pretty much every day. 
So go check out www.getkion.com and use the code ARTOFLIVING. Yeah, and I think, yes, and it's, you know, it's scary to think of people using these drugs in that way, right? Um, And I know you have examples in the book where you're talking about other countries and things that they've seen, like success when Mm -hmm. they have legalized some of this. And one thing I think is really important um, that you talk about is like whether you have like a guided journey or when someone's working with a professional, what does that look like? So I know a big thing with, I think a lot of the use of psychedelics and in particular microdosing is like setting an intention. So you're not just popping some pills to go have fun at a club. Like that's not what we're talking about here. Um, in order to reap the benefits and maybe, you know, go from a 53 out of 60 from a depression standpoint to a 10, you're doing more work than just taking some medicine. Is that right? Absolutely. I, I believe psychedelics are not a cure. They're, they're not a panacea. It's a catalyst. Right. Um, so what is kind of the process, no matter which medicine that you're, that whoever's listening to this finds their way to, mm-hmm. what is the process? So we've already talked about source. Like how do you make sure that wherever you're getting your medicine is as safe as possible? Ideally, it's from a doctor. If not, hopefully you've, you've purchased uh, what's called test strips or, or that you're able to test your medicine so you know what you're taking. Um, there's a company called Dance Safe that is a, is a great uh, place to, to buy test kits. And if you have teenagers... Leave them on the counter, leave them out, test your, if you're going <laughs> to, it's too easy. It's too easy for them on Instagram to find their, uh, find drugs, a way easier to find drugs than alcohol. Oh. Um, and it's, uh, yeah. And you just don't know what they're taking. So going back here. So, um, that's your source. So then you talk about what is your set? So set is what is your mindset? Why are you doing this? What brought you here? Is it because of depression or anxiety or OCD or eating disorders um, are you here for creativity and to optimize? What is it? And getting really clear on that. So a, a good um, psychedelic integrator, this can be a psychologist, but it could also be a life coach. It could also be a guide. Um, will help you set your intention and document it and get clear on why are you here at the medicine. Then you will do the medicine either under doctor's supervision or uh, on your own, however you found it. But then comes the integration part. So now you had this incredible experience. You've, you've had, things have come up that you didn't expect. What do you do with that information? And having a psychologist or a guide or a coach on the other side of that experience is so important to help you unpack it, to help you integrate that into your everyday life and to help what we call um, at Happy is you create happy habits. It's like, how do I turn this, this new realization into a habit? And then how can that habit help me change my life for the better? Whatever that looks like for me. You know, I, I love that. It's interesting because, you know, Marnie and I work with clients one-on-one who people who are trying to create new habits. And so much of the challenge can be rooted in childhood memories and programming, And it's like what you're saying is, you know, maybe to get to the root of, you know, even just substance abuse and whether that's alcohol or food or whatever it is, but this could be a catalyst too, in addition to like unpacking what's causing these behavioral challenges and issues is using potentially a psychedelic to create these happy habits, like you said. And so this is just interesting how you, 
all these different modalities can come together in someone's journey to living well. And, you know, we, we talked about depression and anxiety that these are being used for, but it's not just depression and anxiety, right? It's, I think you use the word somewhere, maybe optimization. So there's a lot of people out there, you know, who are living life and everything is fine and they maybe not be clinically depressed or, you know, have any significant mental illness, but they're not living their best life and they're not feeling joy every day. And, you know, this is just a, another option for people to consider, right? Is that when it's, if, and when it's legal or, you know, however you choose to go about this, I just. But you, you've, you've all talked a lot about happiest, healthiest, and most authentic. And I think this medicine can help in all, all three of those. Um, I've never felt more loved or safe than, than I have under the experience of these psychedelic medicines. Um, the, the medicine has shown me areas of my life that are not as healthy as I'd like them to be. Um, and then they've also made me, really made me understand the, the power and the connection, how connected we all are. I mean, that coming out of that first experience, I'm like, oh my God, the, the idea that we're all brothers and sisters, like, okay, I get that. I get it. I didn't, I understood the words, but I didn't get it until having that experience. Um, and I think that ties as most authentic, authentic self. Yes, absolutely. And I'm just wondering, like, for someone that, let's say they want to try something like that, like, how do you, how do you find a legitimate, you know, and I'm doctor isn't the right word, but like guide or whatever, like, I, I can imagine that because there's so much with the legality of this right now, where what's legal and what's not legal, that there are a lot of people out there claiming that they will be your guide or I just, I have to believe there's a lot of people out there taking advantage of the popularity in this topic right now. And so I'm wondering how does one find a reputable person to guide them if they so choose? Yeah, that's, um, you are right. There are definitely people who are, who are taking advantage of the momentum. Um, I would suggest a couple of things based on just where the, where the person is, who is, who's interested. So there are some websites that have consolidated kind of people who hang their, who are reputable or hang their, uh, hang out a shingle and say, I, I do this. So maps, M-A-P-S dot org has a list. And I believe they actually did some kind of vetting on their site. So those, those are people who, I, that's probably a good place to start. Um, my old company, Psychable. P-S-Y-C-H-A-B-L-E has a directory where you can type in what you're looking for. And, and if there's one near you, that'll appear. There's a company called The Third Wave, another one called Psychedelic Spotlight. Um, there's a few different groups out there that have done this, um, but making it even simpler, many psychologists and coaches, uh, life coaches and, uh, and therapists as a whole, whether they're social workers or, or, uh, licensed therapists, if you ask yours, do you have patients who have been using psychedelics? Do you understand how to work with them? Many cases, they're going to say, sure, of course I do. Happy to. If they don't, that might not be the right therapist for you or coach for you. But I have been very shocked about people who they don't advertise. We work with psychedelic medicine, right? Um, but they do. And again, I'm going to be crystal clear. They don't give 
the medicine. They're not going to go and find psilocybin or give psilocybin. But if you're working with a coach or a therapist that you like, they can probably work through you while you choose this modality. Right. And they can be with you to help with the intentions and the integration and all that. And what about retreats? Like, how do you, how do you Mm -hmm. find a retreat that is safe? Because, you know, I know you talk about this in your book, like there are some unfortunate things that have potentially that have happened at these retreats, maybe in this country, a lot of them are, you know, South America and other places. Yeah, let's talk about retreats and let's talk about how you, I want to go back to ketamine for a moment with this, but sticking with retreats, um, you you want to look for retreats that are, that have obviously good references. I would recommend that you ask whatever retreat you're going to, how many people participate in a uh, psychedelic ceremony at the same time. There are retreats out there that are kind of 20 and less. There are retreats out there that are 40 and less, and there are retreats that are a hundred and less. Um, those are very different experiences. Um, so I would check into that. I would look into what, what do you have on staff or who do you have on staff? Should anything, uh, should there be any challenges and see what they have in terms of any medical support? Again, there's very few challenges that happen with psychedelic medicine, but it is nice to have medical support depending on which medicine that they're doing. And then, um, and then also ask just what is what is the facilitator to guest ratio? How does it work? Um, but yeah, there. I mean, there are some beautiful retreats in Jamaica, in Costa Rica, in Peru, in um, the Netherlands. There's a lot of different options out there for people who can travel. So this is kind of like a a weird question, but you know, I obviously probably have some like stereotypes in my mind of the kind of people that attend this type of thing. And I'm picturing like, you know, the hippies from the seventies and like maybe, you know, dreadlocks and like, I just have this vision in my head and I'm wondering if you want to shut that down a little bit. (laughs) Yeah. I can, I can tell you that again, I've been, I've gone down a pretty deep rabbit hole and I've, been trying to learn as much as possible. So I've, been, I've experienced probably more than the average person would. And I would tell you that almost everybody looks like us. Um, and Matt and Michael Pollan here do not have dreadlocks. I'll yes, we do not have dreadlocks. Um, yeah, for the most part, these are professionals with resources who um, yeah, have decided enough's enough that they want to try something different. Um, I guess I would still consider this professionals, but there I've seen a lot of medical people in these retreats, nurses, um, doctors, um, a lot of entrepreneurs. Um, yeah. I mean, I think for, I think one of the unfortunate things about, again, having it as a non-insurance covered mm-hmm. item is it's, it's expensive. So you have to have some resources to be able to do it for the most part. Part of why I'm doing a telehealth company is I want to bring the cost down, but it does put a lot of own, a lot of responsibility on, on our members to have a, have a clean place at home and have a quiet place. And I have a, I have a couple friend, can we completely change their lives? And, but she'll get mad at her husband a little bit and say like, Oh, it's, it's so much easier for him to get three hours to himself when nobody's <laughs> asking for anything than it is for me. 
<laughs> and um, yeah, I feel for her. I, I get that. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, those are the, uh, I, I would tell you that it is not the, uh, a whole bunch of people in dreadlocks in a drum circle um, at these, at these retreats. Not that okay. there's anything wrong with that. Just that's no, not, that's I just, not what it's is like, there. Yeah, it's just like the stereotype in my head. But I actually have another question about ketamine specifically. Is the idea to, I, I know you mentioned dosage and whatnot earlier, but is the idea to eventually be off of it? Like this isn't something you want to be on for the rest of your life, right? Like the idea is to get you... This. Yeah, that's for all of this. No, yeah. there's none of, the, and that's kind of where this doesn't fit in the corporate medical uh-huh. model. Uh-huh. Is for some people they do this once in their life, twice in their life, and that's it. Yeah. Others uh-huh. maybe it's once a quarter, once a year. It just depends. But this is not a. Um, there's no. That's the. There's no money to be made selling the medicine. Yeah. And yeah. that's a problem in our culture. Right. Because there's no annuity. Like once someone gets on this drug, they're going to be on it forever. You know, no, which is what is, which is what is so appealing and interesting to me that someone who has, you know, some potentially like really, you know, health challenges, mental health challenges, or just is not living well. And they could do this once or twice or on a very minimal scale and completely transform their life. I mean, you know, with no, a, with no significant side effects. I mean, mm-hmm. and maybe you can touch on like kind of some of the myths. I mean, the one myth Marnie already brought up is, you know, are all, is everyone, is everyone a hippie um, or a former hippie, but are there rumors about psychedelics that you want to just bust right now for that, for our audience? Anything that we haven't talked about? Yeah. I mean, the, the addiction, I mean, we grew up in this, just say, no, if you take drugs, you're going to get addicted and you're going to no longer be a productive member of society. Right. And, um, if you look at the psychedelics are anti-addictive. There's nobody wants to do psychedelics every day. It just doesn't, just doesn't work that way. Your body doesn't want it. You build up a, you build up a tolerance so fast anyhow. Um, yeah. So, I mean, that, that one, again, I didn't know that. I, I just assumed all drugs were addictive. All drugs are bad. Here it is. Um, we've covered a lot of the other ones indirectly. Um, in terms of the medical use, in terms of the harm. I mean, if you look at, there's a, there's a, a really interesting study uh, out of a university in, in England that has like harm to yourself and others and like alcohol and tobacco is really high in the top left, yeah. the heroin. Um, and then you slide all the way down to the right and the very tiniest little bit of the bottom right is, is are things like mushrooms. Um, Again, just, big business. It's like it's a lot business. of people are making money off of alcohol, tobacco, right? Pharmaceutical drugs. And the little woman who's growing some psilocybin in her backyard, or I don't, I'm making something up right now, you know, who no, now I is like selling that, it I, like I, underground basically, Exactly. but yep. she's not making any money. No, nobody's made. That's not a, uh, it's We're not trying to free. get people well here. We're trying to exactly. help people get well and live well. And that's not always that there aren't parallel paths with that. And someone making a lot of money. No, I was just going to say, so why do you think psilocybin, like Stephanie said, I mean, it's literally like mushrooms grown from the earth, right? There's nothing synthetic in it. They're just coming straight from the ground. Like, why do you think that's illegal? Oh, I know why it's illegal. It's illegal because the Nixon administration wanted to shake up the anti-war left back in 1970 and infiltrate those groups. So he had, he took all of these drugs 
and classified them harshly and started infiltrating, started making arrests. And um, yeah, but it's, I mean, there's no lethal dose. There's, it's, it's awful. And then he criminalized the, um, uh, the black people as well. So he wanted to arrest leader, leaders, raid homes, break up meetings, but they admitted that they knew they were lying about the drugs. That doesn't, again, we didn't know that because that wasn't the education we got. Right. I mean, we were brainwashed to believe whatever the media told us. And you talk about this in the book and that's what's so great. And maybe we can pivot a little bit um, and talk about your book, Psychedelics for Everyone. And, you know, maybe some of the insights that we haven't shared. And I guess one of the things maybe to even talk about is microdosing because we haven't really gone Mm. there yet. Yes, but promise we'll get back to ketamine because I have one more thing I want to oh, make gosh. sure we cover. Yes. Okay, so micro, microdosing is it's very popular right now. It's, it's, so let, let's back up and talk. What is microdosing? This is when you're taking a such a small dose that it is sub-perceptual. You shouldn't even feel it. So you should be able to work. You should be able to drive. You should be able to do everything you normally do. But you have ingested a little bit of typically either mushrooms or LSD is what most people do who microdose. <clears throat> The idea behind it is if you just do a little bit, you're still keeping, you're still getting some of the benefits of the neurons firing. You're still helping with creativity and you're still helping with uh, connectivity that you're feeling loved and connected to people in a different way. Um, And again, not as much research as some of the other things, but there's a lot of promising studies that, yeah, this, this does work for this. Um, I do, I've created a kind of a guide to microdosing. Um, it's, it's actually a chapter from the book and I just separated it out. I'll, I'll put it on your website. Uh, so it'll be mattzeman.com slash the art of living well. Um, and there people can download it because there's two protocols that people typically do when they microdose. One protocol is you take it, you take a microdose three or four days in a row and then you take, don't take it for three days in a row. And you do that again and again. And every 30 days you take a two week break. The other protocol is you take it on day one. You don't take it on day two, but it's still in your body. You let it come out of your body on day three and you do it again on day four. So every fourth day you microdose. So those are the kind of the two most respected. One was by a gentleman named Dr. James Fadiman. The other guy is uh, Paul Stamets. There's proponents of both of those uh, protocols out there. Um, but I put, I put all that in that guide and your, your listeners are, are welcome to, to download that. Thank you. And I'm assuming the benefits of each protocol are similar, just exactly. two different ways it's, of kind of getting the same yeah. outcome. Exactly. And it's, and it's personal. I think it's personal preference. Some people like say, I'm going to do it Mondays through Thursdays. And I just know every Monday through Thursday, I'm microdosing. And uh, others say, no, I want to do this every fourth day. And it just is a round robin. And... Based on what your symptoms, conditions are, do you recommend one, like a macro dose or, um, yeah, like a macro dose experience versus a micro dose experience? There's certainly a lot more research um, about the benefits on the macro level um, taking, but let's even, let's even be clear about macro. So like when you talk about a ketamine, we're still talking about a, a sub anesthetic dose. So it's not enough to do surgery on you. Yeah. Um, it's just enough to create that dissociative experience for about 45 minutes to an hour. Um, which is, which again is, a, it can be an intense experience. When you talk about a macrodose of psilocybin, 
Yeah, you're probably talking about a six to eight hour experience. Ayahuasca is similar. Um, there are other medicines that are shorter, but not as practical. So uh, I think the benefits in doing the larger doses are, are pretty, there's just so much more research on it than the, the um, microdoses, but microdosing is such an easy access point in for, for people and they can kind of try it. What typically happens is you do that on a weekend, if you're going to try it by the way, and see, <laughs> see if you feel it <laughs> so that you're in a very, uh, you're not worried if you feel a little bit, it's like, okay, I don't have to work today. I don't have to go do a board meeting. It's uh, <laughs> just, just check it out a little bit. And then, okay, I didn't feel it. That's probably a good amount. Okay. That's super helpful. Now back to your, I know you wanted to talk about this one. Ketamine. Yeah, I do. I think there's two things. So you talk about how do you find a good ayahuasca um, center? I think the same, I'd want to give some advice to your listeners in terms of how do you find a good ketamine center? Because there's, there's different philosophies. There's, there's, there are ketamine centers who just believe in the biochemical reaction. So you kind of go in, it's very medical. You get in like your dentist chair and they put an IV in you and that's kind of it. And they expect the, the ketamine to do what ketamine does. Um, the research says that the best outcomes with ketamine are when you combine some type of mental health. So you do, so whether it's licensed or unlicensed, not as important, but help with your preparation, help with your intention setting, and then help you integrate it afterwards. So I would advise, because there are so many ketamine options, talk to whoever you're looking at. What do you do around the medicine? What are you going to do with me to support me? Um, when, when, yeah, when I'm not here and, and, uh, and just make sure they have a robust understanding of uh, or perspective on mental health. The, there are some that came just out of anesthesia that I just, again, the research says that's not as good of an option, but you don't know to ask if you don't, if you don't know. Yeah. I think that's super helpful because I, I don't think a lot of people and our listeners who are new to this would necessarily think of the integration. It's like, there's like pre-work. It's like, you don't just go out and run a marathon. You got to do something before to prepare. And then after you better not just like sit for days either. Right. So if you want the full immersion experience, there's some work to be done. This is not simple. You know, so much of our culture wants to just take a pill, pop a pill and have everything be better. No, it's no different than any other health aspect that you're trying to work on. Right. Yes. And the, uh, Unlike things like, like I, I'm a, I've learned to really appreciate meditation, but there are people who meditate for a long time. Like, I don't get it. Like I want to get it, but I don't get it. If you take a, a high dose of psychedelics, you're going to get it. Um, and then you, in many people, it's like, oh, okay, that's what I'm aiming for in these other practices. So again, maybe you only do it once or twice in your life, but now when you're meditating, I'm aiming for this state that I achieved here. And now I'm going to achieve it without using a medicine. Hmm. So fascinating. So I feel like we could go on and on asking you questions, but I know we have to start to wrap up. And I'm wondering if you can leave our listeners with a couple simple and practical tips that they could, you know, implement into their lives immediately. Um, maybe if you could just share a tip or a suggestion or two that you have. With regards to psychedelics or just in general? Yeah. Or okay, it, could be, I guess. it could be psychedelics or in general, general I advice. Ch- I would challenge your listeners. So first off, they've listened this long. My yeah. question is, why are you still listening? <laughs> you know why you're listening. <laughs> so what is it that in your body is vibrating right now that has you curious 
and what is resonating with you, go, f- it's okay. We, can, we are all adults where you can say, I'm interested in trying this drug and that's okay. And find a way to, to, to make that happen for yourself. Um, because if you weren't ready, you wouldn't still be here listening to this podcast. I agree. It, you know, and it's, that's one of our missions on this podcast to introduce some alternative modalities and ways of thinking and get people to break out of the status quo to find their art of living well. So I think we're doing, we've done that today, Matt, you've done that through this conversation. Thank you. And you do, I mean, you, you do that every, every week with your podcasts. Yeah, <laughs> we, we try, we try. So, okay, Matt, where can people find you? Um, your website, your book, the, the company that you have, and we'll link up everything in the show notes too. Thank you for that. So it's mattzeman.com. And if you go to mattzeman.com slash the art of living well, you'll get that free guide to microdosing. Um, and I hope that's helpful. My book, Psychedelics for Everyone, is really everywhere that books are sold. Um, and our Audible book is coming out here in the next just two weeks. So it's super exciting. It's kind nice. of fun. It's, I, I read parts of it. This uh, MD, PhD, read the Ford, and uh, um, and this this really uh, lovely woman read a, read a chunk of the other of the book. So it's a uh, it's it's a, it's a fun fun listen. Yeah, congrats. Thank you. And then let me see here. Um, I'm, I'm on LinkedIn a bunch, Instagram, matt.zeman. So you can find all that in the show notes. Okay. Great. And Matt, as we wrap up this conversation, one question we'd like to ask all of our guests is what does the art of living well mean to you? That is a great question. I, I, I think when I think of living well, um, I think of bio, psycho, physical, spiritual. So how do I keep all of those quadrants in alignment um, and for me, it's, it's everything from, if I don't run in the morning, my head's not as clear for the rest of the day. If I, I try to have a, at least a time in the morning where it's my, my time to reflect and, uh, before the day gets crazy, um, with just meetings before I just get lost in the doing to have some time to live in the energy. Um, I like getting creative workout early. Um, and then, uh, biopsychosocial, spiritual, and then social that we're, we are, we are, social beings. Um, and at least for me, I find myself when I'm, when there's too much to do, um, I find myself isolating and getting things done, but that is not good for me. Um, I need, I need time with others. So biopsychosocial, spiritual, trying to keep all that in alignment is what living well means to me. I love that. (laughs) We haven't had, and we ask this question all the time and we haven't had anyone touch on all four aspects of that. So yes, thank you. Um, Thank you. This conversation has been so informative, enlightening. Hopefully we're opening the minds. We're beginning to open the minds of a lot of our listeners um, to a a very, I mean, I would call it a pretty controversial topic. Hopefully less controversial every day. And that, that, I mean, I I so appreciate you doing this. I know, I know this was a topic that was, that you're a little bit nervous about and it's, um, we don't have candid discussions about drugs. We don't have candid discussions about mental illness. We don't have candid discussions about uh, about the role of pharmaceuticals in our daily lives. And you you hit all of it head on today. So I really appreciate you doing that. Well, and when you don't have those conversations, we don't have good outcomes many times. So let's open up that, let's start that dialogue. And I think, you know, 
you may come back in a year and we may be in a very different spot and having like a different conversation. So I think this could be. I would love that. Yeah. Yes. Um, We'll be in touch for sure. Thank you so much. This has been a lot of fun today. Yes. Very fun. Have a great day. You too. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to the Art of Living Well podcast. We are so grateful that you joined us today. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with a friend or anyone else you think may benefit from this information. We'd love for you to subscribe to our podcast, leave us a review, and tag the Art of Living Well podcast on social media. If you want more inspiration in between episodes, you can find us on social media at the Art of Living underscore well on Instagram and Facebook where we will share snippets from our daily lives and our journey to living well.